spiritual traveler through the Bible. Please join me for the next part of my journey through the scriptures. Stay as long as you like and let us together discover a bit more about the Bible. Even though judgment fills up the book of Revelation from chapter 6 through to chapter 18, it is important to understand that judgment is not the theme of Revelation. The book is about the revelation of Jesus Christ. The theme is the coming of Jesus Christ in glory. All the scenes of judgment, even though they are so comprehensive and detailed, are simply a backdrop for the glory of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 19 of Revelation brings us to the climax of the book of Revelation, the second coming of Jesus. Our last podcast ended in the midst of a great hallelujah chorus in heaven. This was the first appearance of the word hallelujah in Revelation and the first appearance of the word hallelujah in the whole New Testament. Here at last, heaven breaks into praise and rejoices over the judgment of mystery Babylon the Great, the prostitute church which claimed to be the queen, the true wife of the Lamb of God. Babylon the Great is destroyed by God himself just before the appearance of Christ. Our last podcast also ended with a warning about the dangers of what I termed Babylonianism. I said that wherever you encounter idol worship and a hunger for earthly glory and position obtained by religious devotion, there is Babylon in some form. Not only in the Roman Catholic Church, but in many, many churches is the era of self-glorification in the name of God. These churches teach in the name of Christ, but mingle the truth with error. Often the teachings and traditions of the church are a mixture of paganism and Christianity. These heresies come from pagan sources that have been introduced under the name of Christendom. In chapter 19, one of those traditions appear, a term that is found nowhere in Scripture, the term the Bride of Christ. Let us start with Revelation 19 verses 6 to 8. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. A great chorus comes to a crescendo to announce the true bride of the Lamb. We have now come to the wedding of the Lamb, where he claims his bride for himself. The bride appears again in chapters 21 and 22, but it comes in the form of the city Jerusalem, which is called the bride, the wife of the Lamb. But it is here that the wedding of Jesus and his bride takes place. Many commentators think that the bride spoken of here is the church, basing their exegesis on what Paul writes in Ephesians 5, where he compares the union of husband and wife to that of Christ and the church. But what does the Bible actually say about the Bride of Christ? Well, the answer is, nothing really. The term Bride of Christ is found nowhere in the Bible. This term was probably first coined by the Roman Catholic Church during the 13th century. This term was invented out of perceived inferences in some passages that say God's relationship to us is as a bride. This is a typical example, in my opinion, of reading something into Scripture that is not there. All those passages that are used by supporters of the Bride of Christ teachings are all parables or similes. Those passages simply compare our relationship to the Lord Jesus to that between a husband and a wife. Jesus loves us and has made covenant promises to us as believers, similar to how a husband loves and upholds his promises to his wife. 
the passage that comes closest to mentioning a bride in Revelation is in chapter 21 verses 9 to 12. Then came one of the seven angels, who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues, and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain, and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and on the gates the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. This passage does not say the body of Christ is the Lamb's wife. It does not even say Israel is the Lamb's wife. It clearly states, however, that the holy city Jerusalem is the Lamb's wife. In verse 2 of chapter 21, it also says that the Apostle John saw the great city descending down from heaven, adorned as a bride. John does not even refer to it as the bride, but that it is adorned as a bride. Many Bible commentators link Jesus' parable of the marriage feast in Matthew 22 as pointing to the church being the bride of Christ, but a careful look at that parable in context will show that the bride is not the subject of this story, but the guests are. The correct interpretation of this parable is that the guests represent the church. So the logical question should be, how can the guests be considered also as the bride? Not once in all of Scripture do we find the term the bride of Christ. That is only a religious term, just like the term rapture, and it has become a core doctrine of many denominations, including the Roman Catholic Church. The Bible does not refer to the church, the body of Christ, as the bride of Christ. The Apostle Paul's warning to the church at Colossae in chapter 2 verses 8 is important. Paul said there, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So, if the Bible never calls the body of Christ the bride of Christ, and we use a concept that relates exclusively to Israel, and then use it to apply to us as believers, we place ourselves on the slippery slope of confusing ourselves with Israel and we run the risk of falling into the trap of the heretical doctrine of replacement theology. I speak of replacement theology in more detail in episode 32 of the Journey Through the Scriptures podcast. However, the Bible does say that Jesus will marry someone, and this is what we need to focus on. Believing Jews who will survive the seven-year tribulation will stand on earth and see Jesus Christ return at His second coming. These believing Jews will be married to Jesus Christ at His second coming. Revelation 19 verses 7 says, Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. According to Revelation 21 verses 9 to 10, the Lamb's wife must be the new Jerusalem. This must be the heavenly Jerusalem, Israel's redeemed capital city and her promised land, which will come down from heaven and land on earth. By marrying the nation Israel, the Lord Jesus Christ will unite himself to her land, the promised land. When it says in Revelation 19 verses 7 that the bride has made herself ready, this seems to imply that the judgment seat of Christ is now over. There are passages in Paul's letters where he speaks of this judgment seat. For instance, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verses 10, when he says, 
For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So this is not a time to dish out punishment, but to determine the degree of reward. It is a time when our service for the Lord Jesus during these days on earth is evaluated, and we are shown what was done in reliance on the Spirit and what was done in energy of the flesh. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verses 11 to 15, Paul states that those deeds done for self-glorification or in the energy of the flesh for selfish purposes will all be burned with fire, and all that is left will be the righteous deeds of the saints. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's works will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. That is what we have here in Revelation 19. We are told, It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. So here the bride has made herself ready, and her righteous deeds are washed in the blood of the Lamb, so that the garments she wears are bright and clean white linen. Obtaining righteousness is possible for us, but only through the cleansing of sin by Jesus Christ and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We have no ability to achieve righteousness in and of ourselves. But Christians do possess the righteousness of Christ, because, for our sake, God had made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We are now continuing with Revelation 19 verses 9 to 10. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. It is a great honor to be invited to this wedding feast. That invitation is the gospel which goes out to all men and women everywhere, in every age. It is an invitation to the wedding feast of the Lamb. This links with the parable told by the Lord Jesus in Matthew 22 that I mentioned earlier. Here Jesus tells a parable of a great king who makes a wedding banquet for his son. He sends out invitations out to certain special guests, but they refuse to come. This refers to the nation Israel. When Jesus presented himself to the nation at the triumphal entry, riding down the Mount of Olives on a donkey, just as Zechariah had predicted in Zechariah 9 verses 9, the people received him, but the leadership of the nation rejected him and thus refused to come to the banquet hall. Jesus explained later in the parable that the king then sent his messages out to all the highways and byways, and he appealed to anyone, good or bad, to come to the wedding feast. When many came, he gave them wedding garments so that they might be suitably clothed for the feast. This signifies the good news of the gospel that was extended to the Gentile nations as well as the Jewish nation. Acts 9 verses 15 states that Ananias was told by the Lord Jesus that 
Paul is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. The wedding garments that are mentioned in the parable are the fine linen of the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. Revelation 19 is clearly a picture of that great event that Jesus spoke of in Matthew 22. Keep in mind what I said earlier. The subjects of the parable of Matthew 22 are the guests and not the bride or the groom. The Holy Spirit has been calling men and women since the day of Pentecost. He has been calling us even before that, in the Old Testament times, and even through the period of the Great Tribulation, inviting them to come and join this wonderful scene of the wedding supper of the Lamb. He is calling all the invited guests to share the intimacy of fellowship with the Lord Jesus. Each individual guest of that feast must be able to feel that they are special to the Lord Himself. It will be a wonderful, blessed privilege to be invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. The angel confirms this by saying, These are the true words of God. The angel is really saying here, Believe what I have said. These are the true words of God, so this is going to happen. John is so moved by this realization that he falls down to worship the angel and is immediately rebuked. The angel says, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. There is a very important principle in that rebuke. The purpose of prophecy is to bear witness to Jesus. He has to be the central figure of all scripture. We should never focus on the events like the wedding feast, but on the one who brings them to pass, who is the Lord Jesus himself. So we are instructed by the angel to always focus our attention on Jesus. In Acts chapter 10 verses 25 it says, When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Jesus lifted him up saying, Stand up, I too am a man. In Acts 14, when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices saying, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of like nature with you. So there is no place for worshipping anyone other than God, not even man, no matter how noble they are, even if it is Paul or Peter. Only God is to be worshipped. From Genesis to Revelation, all prophecy points only to Jesus. Some people think that the only purpose of prophecy is to open a window to the future. We are never to focus all our attention on future events, but on the one who will bring them to pass. Our focus of worship should always be the Lord Jesus. At three different parts of Revelation, at the end of each of the series of judgments, the opening of the seven seals, the seven trumpets, and the seven bowls of wrath, we have been brought to the very brink of this event in chapter 19. Each time the Spirit of Truth has brought us back again to see, in a more focused view, what God is doing in the world during those last days. But now at last we have come to the event itself. At this point I think it is important to ask ourselves, where is our focus? Who do we call attention to when we bring a testimony about God to others? Is the attention on us? Or is it on Jesus, the one who deserves the glory and the honor? This is David Wiles, your fellow traveler in Christ, and this has been the Journey Through the Scriptures podcast. 
episode 52.